Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, for those um, with kids, you can head down the back, sign them out, and um, off to Kids Church. That'd be great if you could do that. We'd love to uh, give our kids an opportunity to learn about Christ in an age-appropriate situation, so we, we do that through Exchange Kids, so uh, that's a blessing we can do. I'm really glad this morning that my wife couldn't see Dan, because often I go to the fridge and I say, where is it? She says, it's right in front of you. And here she's talking about Dan and he's right beside him, you know, there you go. it's sort of payback time, isn't it? <laughs> what, what do they call that, a man look or something? Is that what they call it when you go to the fridge? <laughs> oh, I'm very good at it. I just ask because it saves time. Because I could spend half an hour looking through the fridge, but if I just ask somebody where it is, does that make sense? <laughs> I'm going to feel not here yet, have <laughs> Excellent. Great to see Dave up there today. Thanks, Dave, for coming and help us out. So uh, well done, mate. For <clears throat> Love to see people um, using their abilities and talents to come bless us. So Dave's done that today uh, by coming and singing. So, uh, mate, really, really appreciative of that. Uh, as, I said, as Ben said, next week is a uh, 24-hour prayer and fasting, which I think is a great initiative um, of the Combined Churches of Shepparton. Uh, so next Sunday, it's, sorry, it starts 6 o'clock Saturday night and goes through till 6 o'clock Sunday night. Um, and they're also running 24 hours of prayer. So they're going to have somebody down at GVCF from 6 o'clock Saturday night right through until 6 o'clock Sunday night, so right through the, hours, uh, the early hours of the morning as well. Um, so they've asked us if we could do a slot in there. So I chose between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Any takers? No hands went up. No, I didn't ask for that slot. And they didn't ask me to do that slot. We've actually gone for 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, not in the morning. <laughs> okay. um, so if you're able to join me down there next Sunday, that would be really, really great. So we'll pray and um, share some stuff together between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then 4 o'clock actually leads into the meeting uh, that starts then, which is a prayer meeting. And then at 6 it'll finish, and it'll finish with uh, sort of like a semi-type meal to sort of break the fast, as in what a breakfast does or a breakfast does. So, yeah, I'd encourage you, um, please, if you can, can participate in that, it'll be fantastic. And uh, remember for next week, between 2 and 4 is uh, when our slot is on next Sunday afternoon. Righto, let me open this up. Oh, there it is. That's the one I wanted. Lovely. We are in the book of Philippians. We started there last week. Um, I better, better turn my recording device on too. We're still having technical difficulties. Up and running. Brilliant. So we're in the uh, book of Philippians um, here at Exchange. We uh, love to open up the books of the Bible. Uh, we call it expository preaching where we just want to go through uh, every uh, chapter and verse and particularly the book of Philippians. So we, want, we want to do that. We think it's a great way to really get a grasp of what Paul was doing when he writes this letter to the Philippians 2,000 years ago. We begin to see the background context. We begin to see maybe what could be happening there at the particular time or things he may be addressing. And uh, thus, we're going to go through the book of Philippians, maybe 10 or 12 weeks over those four chapters. Uh, Some really, really good stuff in there. So today, uh, we've moved up to um, verses 3 to 11. But before we get there... Uh, Thomas Edison, some of you will uh, know that name, uh, an American inventor from the late 1800s, and you probably all know what he's up for inventing. Anybody want to give us a guess what he invented? Light bulb. Light bulb. Well done. You are right on it. 
best known for the invention of the light bulb. The simple uh, flick of a switch for a light that we take for granted didn't come easily for Thomas Edison. After 100 attempts, he, was, he wasn't any closer to getting the right filament to work to keep burning to be a light bulb. And after another 500 further attempts, there was yet more frustration for Thomas Edison. He still couldn't get it right. Still, another 400 plus attempts beyond that, he still couldn't get it quite right. It just wasn't happening. It wouldn't last. Finally, after some 1,000 plus attempts... Thomas Edison finally got a bulb to last 13 and a half hours. Uh, an amazing amount of times that he just persevered. He kept hanging in there. He kept going and going and going till he finally got that light bulb to flick on and to stay on. More than 1,000 times he actually attempted this. He continued to persevere on and on. Perseverance is a really important quality that God works within us to be able to persevere. Let's have a read of that today in uh, verses 3 to 11. And to do something different, I would like you all to stand as we read the Bible. Just to, again to show a mark of respect and honour for God's word that he's given to us. If you'd like to stand, please. I'll read it out loud, then you can follow it on the screen or your own books there as well. Starting in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you for this uh, passage here in Philippians. We ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would uh, give us an ability to see and to hear. And I pray that you would affect change in our hearts and in our lives through your word, Holy Spirit, as you work in it. Uh, please help us with this. Uh, we are weak vessels in need of much help. And uh, I pray now that you would give that help for us in Christ's name. Amen. Take your seats, please. So we have Paul writing this letter to the Philippians to strengthen uh, this church and to build their faith in Jesus Christ. And we can see even from that passage reading there that Paul is writing with joy and great affection. He actually even uses that word there, of great affection there. Another aspect of these letters is that Paul would often write in a way that would have what we call theology up the front of the letter. So maybe the first two or three chapters in Philippians is probably the first couple. And then followed by sort of practical gospel living, outworking what this theology or this teaching about God is. When I say theology, that's what we mean. Theology is teaching about God, something we understand and know about God that we receive uh, through the Bible. And in many respects, all these churches planted by Paul and the other apostles were young, fledgling churches. Christianity in the New Testament form was very, very new. You know, maybe here it could have been 20, 30 years old, possibly, but still very young, still very new. Like in the, It's in the early stages or the fledgling stages. 
When the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to the world, it brought in a whole new revelation of who God was. He was revealed now through the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament was being fulfilled through the life of Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, they could see stuff in the Old Testament and it made sense. Or they could see its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, particularly through all the sacrifices and through all the temple worship. They actually could see this was all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ himself. So, in this early stage of the New Testament church, the teaching of the apostles, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, became invaluable to them as this new revelation of God became known to them. It shed light on all the Old Testament and continued to open up what the New Testament faith and living would look like. And Philippians here is no different, absolutely no different at all. We learn here about Jesus Christ and what we learn does a number of things for us as we think and as we understand. What we learn about Jesus increases our love for him in all that he's done for us. As we, as we read and think about what he's done, it actually does begin to build our love for all that he is and all that he's done for us. Also, as we learn about Jesus and what he's done, it increases our trust and our faith in him, in who he is, and again, what he's done on our behalf. We trust in his death. We trust in his resurrection. We trust that we will be reunited with him at the end of time, our time here on this earth, because our sins have been paid for by what Jesus Christ has done. These are the things we learn as we go through and read the New Testament teachings as given to us from the apostles, uh, inspired by God's Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. And today, as we look at this passage, I want us to focus in on verse 6. Verse 6. Let's read it again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a massively powerful verse. It's an incredible verse. Just that one little uh, put together of words here, inspired by God's Spirit, is massively powerful. I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that this verse has helped countless millions of people over the thousands of years we've had the Bible. Some people have read that and it's actually just been like a rock of foundation they could stand on in times of doubt or struggle or worry or concern. And what this verse speaks to us about, or what the Bible declares here through this verse, is about our assurance or our perseverance of our faith in Christ to the very end. He says, He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's talking about here our perseverance, our persevering as believers. It will be brought to a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here is Paul overflowing with joy, confidently teaching the Philippians that the God who saved you in Christ will surely complete this salvation through to the end. The one who started it, he will complete it. We call this the doctrine or the teaching of assurance or perseverance. And what the Bible says is the God who sovereignly saves us in Christ is also the same God who enables us to persevere through to the end. He enables us to persevere through to the end. In other words, the primary cause of our salvation is Jesus Christ in what he's done for us at the cross. And the ongoing primary cause of us remaining a Christian for the rest of our lives is also God himself. He will complete this salvation through to the end. Perhaps we can view it like this. Sin 
is like a river that separates us from God. We're separated by this river. And what we have here is a raging torrent of sin. We can't possibly ford this river or cross this river on our own. It's impossible. We stand afar off from God, unable to cross over this raging torrent of sin, a river. God approaches us. He makes the first move. And he builds a bridge over this river in Jesus Christ. And we step onto this bridge in Christ to connect with God. And with every step on the bridge, all the way over, Christ is holding us up the whole way. That's the picture here of this perseverance, this enabling us to be saved through to the very end. We never leave the bridge. The bridge, or Jesus, is the primary support all the way through life. And then we are perfectly united with God when our time on this earth is finished. And because Jesus is the bridge and that he will never fail then our our salvation is perfectly assured and we will never fail in our salvation as well. Let me just flick through a few Bible verses here to help you see this. It's not just a one-off thing here in Philippians. This is said numbers and numbers of time through the New Testament. Romans 8, 29, verse 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's, there's a, the golden chain there they talk about this verse. It's just fantastic. God, it's, it's, an, it's a completed state. He will glorify us in heaven. 1 Corinthians, 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who will sustain you to the end. Jesus will sustain us, enable us to persevere to the very end. First Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. To obtain salvation, assurance, to obtain in a completed sense. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved, completed, saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obtain, there's a completed sense again here of this salvation. The last one, which is one we've often read as a doxology at the end of a service, Jude verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now forever. Amen. He who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. This is a picture again here of the persevering power that God enables within our life. Start to finish. Each of those verses are saying the same thing. Those who God saves, he will keep saved. He will enable them to persevere to the very end. Now, I don't think anybody has a a problem with the idea of perseverance in general about the fact that we like to persevere or there's something inbuilt or inbred within us. Because there is. There's something within us that does want to persevere. Now, we've got a few small children. They've been born recently in the, in the church and 
Uh, young Jerome is probably the most recent candidate. He's actually beginning to walk for probably a few months now. Six months? Longer? A few nods of the head there between Dan. He is walking. Yeah, he's walking. Yeah, he's walking. Yeah, they persevere. They stumble. They fall. They pull themselves up on things. They fall over. They pick up again. But they persevere on. Small children want to do that because they want to reach something up the bench and pull it down. And they can't do it while they're crawling on the ground. But we also persevere in bigger things in life as well. We persevere for our team to win. We team together and we persevere to follow the coach's drill and we do that. We persevere to get a new business off the ground. We work harder that. We just keep persevering until this business goes. We persevere to learn a new skill. We just want to pick up a new skill so we just keep persevering at it. We just keep going at it. And we persevere to get a job promotion as well. We do all the right things we can at the right time, hopefully in front of the boss's eyes, and maybe we'll get that promotion. We persevere at that. So perseverance is something that happens. It's an excellent quality to have. But despite it being an excellent quality to have, we do have untold limitations within ourselves in this perseverance. And with those limitations, very often it doesn't matter how long I may persevere in something, I still not uh, may make it. I know when I was at high school, um, I think they called the subject textiles. And Jolanda could have been in the same class as me because I went to school with Jolanda, all of primary school and high school together. And this thing called textiles, we had the you know, macrame, string, big fat fingers trying to toggle little knots with strings. Doesn't matter how much I persevered. It's a bit like you send a text message. You send all those crazy words because your fat fingers point about three. I, didn't matter how hard I persevered. It just didn't click for me in textiles. So I had limitations there. It wasn't going to happen. Sometimes within myself, I don't have the, same, the right skill set to get to the next level. These are part of the limitations here sometimes that we can't persevere in, despite how often we may try. Our perseverance often depends so much on us or others around about us. And this then becomes the reason why we can't sometimes, uh, are able, they're not able to persevere in some things. There is a weakness or a failure in us or around us that doesn't uh, enable us to persevere. That's how it possibly can be with us in some ways, but that's not how it is with God. That's not how it is with God. What we've got to see with God is that he just doesn't bring us to the river of sin, this torrent that separates us us from him, give us the raw materials and give us a a plan of instructions and say, look, here, build your own bridge. Here's all the instructions. Here's the raw materials. Build your own bridge. It's up to you now. And then he walks away and sort of leaves us to our own devices, trying to cross this river on our own. Some people believe this about God in some sense. It's as though God saves me and sort of orientates me in the right direction. So right now, you just head in that direction and you're all on your own. Some people believe this about God, that he sort of brings them up to the line, as it were, of salvation and then leaves them to their own devices. Now I've got to make it myself from here. That type of perseverance then finds its primary cause in my faithfulness as the primary action to keep going and in my strength to keep going. It all depends on how well I can stick at sort of following Jesus and how well I can stay close to him. That becomes the primary cause if that's all it was, that, that God brings me to the line and says, right, and now you're on your own from there. The problem with that view, when it's sort of brought me to the line, now it's my turn to just follow on and I'll do it on the rest of my own strength, is we can be in and out of salvation. It seems like that. When I'm doing okay, 
I feel like I'm saved. I'm doing enough Bible reading. I'm keeping away from sin and I'm actually being kind and nice. I'm getting along with the church. I'm, I'm feeling okay. I must be saved. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. But if I'm struggling in life and life's pretty hard and I feel a bit cold, I feel lifeless inside, I feel a bit dead, well, I mustn't be saved. I'll have to try harder and get myself saved again, so to speak. If we think God brings us to the line and then leaves us on our own and we've got to make our way forward in our own strength. That's what happens sometimes. We're a bit like a yo-yo just going up and down. I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved. It can be like that if you're not thinking that God carries us all the way to the end. See, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel here that Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. That's the gospel here of that verse that Paul gives to us. Now you might be saying there, Todd, are you saying once saved, always saved? Once saved, always saved. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Once saved, always saved. But you might say, but doesn't that lead to sort of slack, sloppy, loose Christian living? Isn't that the reason that these so-called Christians we see out there who are Lying, cheating, stealing, getting drunk and all sorts of other crazy things. You know, doesn't that sort of once saved, always saved, doesn't that sort of lead to this loose, sloppy, casual, sort of not sort of, you know, tight Christianity? It's always the big pushback if you have the discussion with people who perhaps don't see the doctrine of perseverance in that way that God will keep us right to the very end. It'll tend to lead to this sort of loose Christian living that there'll be no sort of, you know, um, uh, really... Um, clinging close to Christ. It'll get to the point where people think, well, I'm saved. I can never lose my salvation. I'll get and do as I like and live as I please. God's covered everything by grace. That's the pushback that comes there sometimes. But if perseverance is rightly understood, if it's rightly understood, we will see that loose, casual Christian living will not be a mark of someone who is truly saved. It won't be a mark of that. Probably if they're living that loose Christian life, possibly they may not have been truly saved in the first place. But if someone's truly saved, truly born again, with a changed heart, things will change. Life will change. A whole new direction will be maintained by the God who sits underneath us and is that very foundation for us. And this actually is what God does. He uses means to enable us to persevere. God uses various ways to help us fight the fight of faith. There are things that God puts in place that he uses to help us to overcome the obstacles and the trials of life that we all face in their seasons. Persevering doesn't mean God gives us a trouble-free life. That life now becomes simple and easy and we just move off down the path and it's all good. Persevering doesn't mean that. Persevering means, like Thomas Edison, a thousand times. You actually keep up and going again. You get up and go again. And this is what God does. He gives us the enablement to persevere through whatever troubles and trials we face in this life. So you might be asking, what are these means? What are these resources? What are these things that God gives to enable us to persevere? Well, Paul talks about it right here in this passage. Firstly, 
Uh, God's love will keep us. God's love will enable us to persevere. Uh, an incredibly strong way that God does this is he pours his love into our hearts. Philippians uh, 1.9 It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul writes to the Philippians there. It's the prayer part here that Paul's praying for the Philippians. But we see some really key means here that God uses for keeping us. Paul prays for love to abound with the Philippians. For love to abound within them. Isn't it amazing what a driving force love can be? It's amazing what a driving force love can be to help us and give us power. It can cause us to do crazy things at times. I'm sure we've all heard of the outlandish things some guys have done in proposing to their sweetheart. Someone's gone and hired uh, those sky riders with an aeroplane. Uh, some have put billboards up in Melbourne. They've actually paid thousands of dollars to put a proposal with their wife up on a billboard. Uh, I saw one on national television where a guy got down on his knee in, in a national sporting event to propose to his wife. Now, who in their right mind does that? Nobody. But love is amazing what it drives us to do. It actually, it's this compelling force within us. It drives us to do these incredible things. This is what uh, Paul is precisely praying here for the Philippians. He wants to see God's love abound within them. Paul wants to see God's love shed abroad within their hearts in a deepening, a deepening and increasing way. Because he knows when something has got your highest affections, it begins to draw in your whole heart to follow it and to love it. So this is what God does. He pours his love into our hearts and our affections are now raised and drawn to him. And just like you don't want to hurt something you love, you don't want to do anything that causes God hurt because you love something. A man might buy a new camper trailer. Or it could be a new car. It could be a whole range of things. He loves it. He loves his new camper trailer. He thinks it's the ant's pants. He makes a special place for it in his shed. Backs it in the shed there. Everything's cleared around so nothing can fall on and scratch it. He may even put a cover over this camper trailer just so he can keep it nice and pristine. He loves his camper trailer. He looks at the Melways. No, that was 20 years ago. He looks at the GPS and says, actually, I'm not going to go on that road because there's a lot of dirt and dust there and I'm going to get more dirt and dust on my camper trailer road. I'm going to go on another road here, which is better. He, lo- he doesn't want to hurt his camper trailer, does he? He loves it. He cares for it. He doesn't want to damage it at all. Well, this is what happens in our persevering with God. God's love captures our heart so that now we don't want to offend God. We don't want to cause dishonour to his name. This is the enabling that God uses to help us to persevere. His love drives us to follow him and to pursue him and not um, do anything that would cause hurt to God's name. There's one means that uh, Paul prays for and that God uses for us to persevere through to the end. God's word will keep us as well. God's word will keep us. Now for Paul, the love of God isn't just some untouchable thing. It isn't some sort of um, airy-fairy sort of feeling that's floating around the room when Paul thinks about love. Not, not at all. It, it's, it's something that has a focus of attention. It's something objective for Paul when he thinks about love. And the Bible has always shown us when we think about this objectivity of love that God's love has always been linked to what we know about him. 
And this is what Paul precisely says here again on the back half of verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Our love for God is intensified by our knowledge of him. Let me say that again. Our love for God is intensified. It's maximised. It increases by our knowledge of him. And this, in turn, is a means that God uses to enable us to persevere to the very end. This is absolutely God's order when it comes to growing in him and persevering to the very end. God has ordained that our knowledge or understanding of him increases. And directly related to that is that our love grows for him as it increases. This is what God does to to raise us up and to enable us to keep following and persevering. Think about the first time you might meet somebody. They might seem like a really interesting person, really easy to talk to. You actually get along really well with them. It's a great conversation. You've got a few things, points of interest that are common. It all goes well. But somewhere down the track, you've met this person again, and you might discover something about them. You might learn something about them. What you might learn is that each year, on one of their weeks of their holiday break, they get down to the local homeless shelter and serve out meals to the homeless uh, through the streets of Shepparton or Melbourne, wherever they might be. And when you hear that knowledge about them, something more you've actually understood about who they are, not only are they just an interesting person now, but your admiration for them grows, doesn't it? You've just discovered something about them. You've actually learned some knowledge about this person and it actually begins to intensify your interest in them. And it works just the same way in God. As we understand more and more about who he is, it intensifies our love and grows our love for him. And this is what God does. He gives us the Bible to intensify this love, to intensify this ability to persevere through to the end as we see who he is. Amazingly and miraculously, God uses that. That knowledge is not wasted. It actually becomes something that we build our affections on through who God is. The Holy Spirit takes that word and unpacks it in our mind and our love, our affections grow. Sometimes we just feel like giving in. What's the use? I'm never going to make it. God's love then, which is intensified by the knowledge of him, comes in and holds us up. It enables us to continue on and we persevere through to the end. Here's another one that Paul talks about. The third element here that Paul talks about is vital in our perseverance at the end with Christ and that is that God's people are the means that he uses to keep us. God's people will keep us. Look in verse 5 here, uh, right back to the start where we read there early on. Paul says this, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, You might think that's a bit of a harmless little verse there. Very key word there, Paul says. Um, Fourth word, partnership. Because of your partnership. Paul is saying your partnership or being connected to other believers is really, really important. Really, really important. That word partnership there actually carries with it a sense of intimate, close fellowship. Uh, It's actually the same word used in Acts 2.42. And we'll just go to that verse to sort of show you here what it's showing um, there. 
It says in verse 42 of chapter 2 in Acts, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That's the same word there as partnership back in Philippians. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. This was a key element of this early church in those early days. Was the fellowship or the partnership they had in close, intimate uh, relationship. And particularly in those early days, for the extreme pressure that they were under, being a newfound, fledgling religion in Christ in comparison to the Roman uh, world that was going on, plus the Judaism was happening at the same time. And one of the things that enabled them to persevere through those trying and challenging days was this fellowship or this partnership in close, intimate relationship that bonded them together and enabled them to persevere through those trials and struggles. I can imagine it probably looked something like this, and this actually did happen sometimes. Some believers were just put into jail for not worshipping the Roman Caesar. If you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll see that. If you didn't um, declare your allegiance to the Roman Caesar at the time, uh, your house was ransacked and you were put in jail and it was all over Red Rover for you. I can imagine some believers experiencing that and some of their family members and close friends are distraught and are confused by all this. Our good friends, our brothers, our sisters, my mother or my father, they've just been put out of the house, it's been levelled and now they're in jail. They will be totally confused and distraught and filled with grief. They may be thinking to themselves at that particular time, I'm just not sure I can keep going on with this Christianity. I'm just not sure I can keep following Jesus. If I see another person in their house taken away and their house flattened, I think that'll be the last straw for me. I'll have to give it up. I'll have to walk away from Christianity. I can imagine those thoughts going through their mind, seeing that extreme pressure around about them. So what do they do? What do they do? Well, it says in Acts 2.42, they were devoted there to teaching and uh, fellowship. They come and meet in partnership or fellowship with the church, with other believers. They meet with other believers, close, intimate fellowship. And what does God do there in this meeting with other believers? I'm sure they'll sit and they'll weep for quite a while over the grief and the sadness of the stress and the pain that's just taken place. They will sit and they will weep together in this grief. In this close, intimate fellowship, then they'll remind themselves of what Jesus went through at the cross. They'll refresh their minds again in the sufferings that Christ went through to secure their salvation. They'll remind themselves again about what Jesus said in persecution. He said, through many trials and tribulations, we will get to the kingdom of heaven. They'll remind themselves of that truth again through their close, intimate fellowship with other believers. They'll remind themselves again together in partnership and fellowship that the God's Spirit is with us, even in these hard times, to comfort us. And then in close fellowship, close partnership, intimate relationship, they will pray with each other. And what happens then? God uses that means of close, intimate fellowship, partnership with other believers through the church to help us persevere on in the trials of life. They'll experience peace. They'll experience comfort, love and strength, all rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ as they've come together in close, intimate fellowship with other believers. Now, I know myself, I've experienced that many times, not so much the confiscation of property or uh, um, put in jail, but just those tough weeks you have, those really difficult weeks you have. It's, it's, it's actually a great delight and a great joy to meet with the brothers and sisters in Christ. 
you come along and somebody's there to listen to you and to pray with you and sometimes to cry with you, sometimes to rejoice with you. That's the experience we have. And this is the means that God gives to enable us to persevere on to the very end. Fellowship in church is an incredibly powerful way that God enables us to persevere. Okay, as we think about this teaching or this doctrine here of perseverance, what does it do for us today? What sort of um, reactions come out of that as we think about that? Well, firstly, for me, it humbles me. It does, it humbles me. You or I don't contribute to our salvation in any primary cause or way. In a primary sense, in a first sense, we don't contribute to it. It's God who actually makes the first move and it's God who's the one who makes the first move in carrying us all the way through to the end. God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. So this rules out any pride that I can take in myself to say, hey, I've contributed to this salvation. It's actually Jesus first, Jesus last and Jesus in the middle. The very fact that I can go to sleep tonight and wake up a Christian tomorrow morning will be totally um, beholden upon God in his sustaining power and keeping me going. It's a humbling thought for me. Secondly, it's incredibly encouraging. Really, really encouraged me to know that God is sustaining me. Because I know in myself I am weak. Really, really weak. I know how easily temptation and sin can so easily uh, take me down and wear me down. I know how easily anger can rise up within me when things aren't going my way. I just know that. I just know how weak I am. And if I were left to my own devices... I think very, very quickly there will be no Christian character coming out of me whatsoever if I was purely up to my own strength and my own willpower. Jesus, I feel utterly weak. My life seems to be a series of struggles. I feel so inadequate. I feel so unworthy. There are just those moments that come in that we want to walk away from the whole thing. It just happens, doesn't it? We just seem to get overwhelmed and we just want to walk away from the whole thing. And then we flick on... um, social media, and we look at all our friends are doing on Facebook and Instagram, they seem to be having so much fun over there, and I just feel like a, a pathetic mess over here. Maybe the whole thing is just a sham. Those thoughts come in sometimes. Thoughts of weakness. It's amazing how incredibly at those times, you just sense the Holy Spirit quietly working within you. Quietly working within you, keeping you going through those difficulties. You may just pick up a good Christian biography at that time and you'll start to flick through those pages and you'll be amazed at how God will use that to just begin to lift your heart again as you experience them going through a similar trial and God's used that to actually encourage you. You look back and say, Jesus, you are keeping me. I could not have kept myself through that weakness. I would have failed as a miserable mess. I can look back and say, there go I, but by the grace of the living God. Fourthly, when I see God's persevering work in me, it really does lift my heart to see his glory. It really does. Because sometimes I do look back and I think, that is amazing, God, what you've done. Just amazing that you have kept me and enabled me. Even in my darkest days of despair or doubt, you were there carrying me through and I look back and you did not leave me. God, you are the primary cause in enabling me to persevere on when I face these trials. It makes me look back and it causes me just to, to, as it were, I guess, bask in the glory of God, in his incredible ways that he works in our lives 
to sustain me. It does. It just helps me to see, God, you are far greater than I could ever imagine when I see his caring power and sustaining power. Let me just close you with a verse out of um, Psalm 18 and also a little bit about Billy Graham. Psalm 18 says this. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your greatness made me great. And your right hand supported me. That is the perseverance of our Father in heaven who enables us. He supports us all the way to the end. And as I reflected upon that, as we heard about Billy Graham this week, died at 99 years old. It's a tremendous age. A tremendous age. That is a real blessing of God. We can look back on the life of Billy Graham and he faithfully served God all the, 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 the days of his life. As um, Ben was saying before, probably 60 or 70 years of ministry there. A man of amazing humility and character. An incredible role model uh, for us to look to. Incredible things over the vast decades of reaching many, many people. How did he do that? How did he do that? How could he go on for day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year with any manner of trials and setbacks and dramas? How did he do that? God enabled him by the persevering power of God's Spirit given to Billy Graham every moment of every day. That's how Billy Graham survived those 70 years of ministry. It was the persevering power that God enabled him every day. I looked at a few quotes of um, Billy Graham's last night and it was just amazing how he just kept attributing everything to God's goodness and God's faithfulness in his life. He just knew that it wasn't him in the primary cause. It was God in the primary sense, sustaining Billy Graham every day of his life to keep going on. And that's what we see here today. Not only with Billy Graham, but Paul as he's writing to the Philippians. Paul's writing with joy in a really hard place. Why is he writing about this joy? Because he knows the sustaining power of God will carry him through, even when Paul's sitting in a prison cell back there 2,000 years ago. It's the same grace today that God has offered to both Paul and Billy Graham. He offers to us to keep sustaining us day after day after day. There's a wonderful thing, the persevering power that God gives to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can uh, come around your word. Thank you today, Lord, for uh, this passage here in Philippians. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your persevering power that you work in our lives. Please, Lord, help us to see today that uh, you are the one, you are the primary cause in our lives that keep us going that keep us faithful, that keep us coming back to you. Lord, we may wander in all sorts of directions. Sometimes we may wander way off the path. And Lord, we've left you way behind in our own heart and our own mind. But Lord, then we look back and we see how you've just gently led us back to the path again that leads to you. Father, help us to see that is your persevering power that you're working in our lives. That is your faithfulness to us when we are faithless before you. Father, today help us to worship you in that. You are faithful and you do enable us to persevere. And Lord, today for those, for those who felt like, well, I just wandered way out there on left field. I've gone way out in the wilderness. Well, praise God, Lord, that they're here today. This is again a part of your persevering work in their life, drawing them back to yourself. Help us to see that, I pray, with new eyes. And let that, I pray, as love 
is uh, awakened in our heart and this knowledge of you intensifies that love and that fellowship of uh, each other, Lord, intensifies again this love and this knowledge of you. Let it all work together today, Lord, I pray, to enable us to keep persevering on knowing, Lord, that you are faithful, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the very end. Help us to see that today, Lord, I pray, and help us to take hold of these means you've given and to keep using them so that we will keep persevering on. Father, this I ask and this I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Neville's going to come and uh, lead us around the communion table. Um, and I didn't check the roster of who's there doing the elements. So, Tom, can I get you, mate? And um, Sammy, can you help Tom just hand out the emblems? That'd be great. You've got to love the Holy Spirit, haven't you? He, uh, last week, um, the two studies we've done during the week on the <coughs> uh, Truth Project, and today, uh, just the way the Spirit leads in the same ways. The songs we sang before we started today, all pointing to the same things that Tom's been speaking about. 